Thank you guys. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I don't know about you, um, but I'll just let you know that I yearn to be here on Sundays with you. Throughout the week, I've just had this spirit of yearning and desire to be in the house of the Lord with the people of God. And uh, it is still, I don't know about you, but my favorite day of the week. And uh, I'm so grateful that you're here. And I'm so grateful that I get to know you and love you and serve you. I don't know why, I just, I just felt that a lot this week and just could not wait for this day. So thank you for um, letting me do so. Thank you for letting me serve as your pastor. So just a, by way of reminder, um, a week from today, we're starting a brand new series. Um, <laughs> really excited about this. It's called Four Letter Words. Four Letter Words. And uh, that happened last week. Uh, yeah, a little laughter across the room. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to be, and you're not going to be, hopefully, saying any four-letter words, uh, those kind of four-letter words. Um, it will be Super Bowl Sunday. Some of you might be saying some four-letter words at the end of the day, <laughs> but we're not going to be doing that in the house of the Lord. Um, but we are going to be looking at very important, very important four-letter words, and uh, you don't want to miss it. And since it is Super Bowl Sunday, go ahead and wear your favorite jersey. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's football jersey or uh, professional sports or collegiate sports, go ahead and wear, if you have one, go ahead and wear one. If, if you want to go get one, you can do that too. That's your call. If your wardrobe needs one. But if you have one and you want to wear it, wear it next week. Some time ago, um, it's actually, it was actually 2012. Cannot believe it's been 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I was out in San Francisco um, and had a little free time and I, I went up to see the Redwoods. Have any of you seen the Redwoods in California? Um, we got some pictures here, and I'll go ahead and tell you before I even get into this, these don't even do it justice. Um, I, I stood around Redwoods, no exaggeration, that were as round as this entire stage. But if you ever get a chance to do it, it is the most awe-inspiring, amazing thing you will ever see. I mean, it is absolutely spectacular. I didn't know trees could be this big. And as I experienced it that day, I started thinking about trees and I started thinking about dendrochronology. I don't know if you know that word, but it's a fascinating study. It's, it's actually a scientific method for dating trees. And the, the way they date the trees is they look at the rings inside a tree when a tree finally dies. So if you look at these rings here, each ring represents about a year of the tree's life. So the tree goes through its life, it, it adds a ring for every year. And dendrochronologists can actually study these rings and they can tell what kind of life that tree had. It's fascinating when you think about it. There's this thing called dendroclimatology where they can actually study these rings and, and, and go back long periods of time and, and look at the climate and what's happening with the climate in our world. They can study these rings very closely and tell when this tree had hard seasons, when it went through difficult times, 
when it might have not received enough rain or, or when it might have had some hardships happen to it from the outside. Now, maybe it's just the pastor in me, but as I was thinking about that this week, revisiting that visit in my mind, I started thinking about you. And I started imagining, if we could, if we could, if we could look inside each and every one of us. Come on, come on. We, we, we have rings in our lives, do we not? We all have seasons in our lives where times were good, praise God, and where times were bad. We've had barren seasons where, where we didn't get enough nutrients, and we've had seasons where life's just been real brutal and hard on us. And I thought about all of that, and I started to, to realize there's something here. In layman's terms, if you will, the rings in those trees tell the story of that tree's life. And I know that you have a story to your life as well. Can I just tell you about a few of them that I've encountered? These are real life stories. These aren't made up. Last week, I gathered with a woman of God right down here after the worship celebration. And I spent about 10 to 15 minutes with her and hearing her story. And as she shared, I saw tears well up in her eyes and run down her cheeks because she has spent her life trying to understand who she is and quite often and unfortunately experienced the church as being some rigid, judgmental, fundamentalist place. And here she was trying to figure it all out. She obviously has a brilliant mind and loves God with a beautiful soul. There's a ring that tells the story of a young man who is afraid to tell his parents that he has become a Christian because his parents told him that if he does become a Christian, they will disown him. There's the ring that tells the story of a middle-aged man who has never quite been able to deal with singleness and living alone, and he wants to do is love someone and be loved by someone, but he's just never been able to figure it out up until this point in time. There's the ring that, that tells the story of a little girl who ran down the stairs at Christmas to find her mama passed out again on the couch because she had too much Christmas cheer. And her dad left a note saying, I'm done, I can't take it anymore. And he left. There's a ring that tells the story of a grown woman who can't seem to forget the night that her brother took her out back and tried to show her the mystery of sex, but instead showed her the misery of sex. And she's broken and trying to deal with the trauma and the abuse that she endured at the hands of someone she thought would love her. There's a story of a wife who time and time again keeps catching her man addicted to pornography and wonders why she can't measure up to those images on the screen. There's a ring that tells the story of a woman who said, I do, only to conceive six children and have her husband run off and have an affair on her when those children were so young and for the life of her, she can't trust men. The point is, there are rings, and forgive me for putting such heavy topics before us today, but I believe the church 
needs to wrestle with these things. Come on now. If we can't be a place where we can get real and raw about the messiness of life, what are we doing here, right? The point is there are rings. We all have rings. I have rings and you have rings. And they tell the stories of our lives. This is us, church. It is what makes us broken. And yet it is what makes us beautiful. Where I need you and you need me. And we need the only one who can truly heal us, almighty God. You see, we, we started this church with a passion and a, and a phrase that I just want to resurface in this moment today. See, we believe that the church is a trauma center for wounded people. You see, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick who need a doctor. And he, my friends, is the great physician. And so you can go ahead and open up your Bibles if you want to Luke chapter 10. And as you're doing that, I want to just honor people today. I, I want to honor, as I studied this this week and got ready and got to start thinking about the church as a trauma center, once again, I, I just had this sense of gratitude well up inside of me where I wanted to just thank all the doctors, all the nurses, all the admin staff in the medical field, all the PAs, physician's assistants, anyone who's involved in the medical field who's been laying it on the front lines for the last two years, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you and honor you. You've been the real unsung heroes of this season that we've been in. So I want to talk to you about one of the most popular parables in all of Scripture. The only one that might uh, supersede this would be the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Uh, but in Luke chapter 10, we come across this parable of the Good Samaritan. You know it. Uh, even if you're new to church, you've probably heard this particular parable. Luke chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse 25. And I'm just wondering if you would stand in honor of God's word. Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. If you love the word of the Lord, can I hear a strong amen? Amen, amen she says. Luke 10, 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Get the scene. An expert in the law. A religious expert, whatever that is, right? Stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question. What is written in the law, he replied. Jesus, Jesus, I love Jesus because Jesus would often get these questions asked, and Jesus would answer the questions with a question. It's a beautiful thing. You ought to try it sometime. Jesus said, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Pretty straightforward. I mean, you think the guy should just put a shut to the up and go home, right? But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, Jesus, and who is my neighbor? <laughs> you ever done that? Who is my neighbor? And replied, Jesus said, a man was going down. Here's the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, the clergy, Pastor Ernest, those of us, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So get the scene. The guy's been beaten by robbers. He's on one side of the road. Benji comes walking by on the same side of the road, and Benji just concludes, I ain't got time. He must not be my neighbor. So he goes to the other side of the road to avoid the brother, right? Priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, but a who? You gotta get the parable and the tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. They didn't associate. Jesus is telling a parable to make a point. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. That was about two days' worth of wages. He just didn't throw him a dollar spot or a five spot. Two days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. Looking after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you might have. Verse 36, which of these three <laughs> do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers, Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. May God bless the reading, the hearing, and the applying of his word. Amen? You may be seated. Oh, you got to love the word of the Lord. So in honor of those in the medical field, I wanted to have some props before us today. And I want to talk about the church being a trauma center for wounded people based upon this parable of Good Samaritan. The church being a trauma center, an ER, if you will, for wounded people. Here's the first thing we must do straight from Luke chapter 10, if we're going to get this right, is we must learn to diagnose with compassion. A church as a trauma center diagnoses with compassion. You ever go to the doctor? Why they all, I think it must be required that they, they do this. The stethoscope deal. You, you, you're like, I can't stand the stethoscope because it's always cold. The best doctors will try to warm it up, right? But when they put that thing up the back of your shirt and they ask you to do what? What? <gasps> breathe in and breathe in. It's cold, man. And then, and then there's always that awkward moment. You know, it's just silence. They're just listening. And you're wondering, is my ticker okay, you know? <laughs> Are my lungs all congested? What's going on? But a church as a trauma center must diagnose with compassion. Can I get an Amen. Any compassionate people in the house today? Luke chapter 10, 33b and 34 out loud, church. And when he saw him, he did what? He took 
pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The church is a place that needs to diagnose people with compassion. People who are either on the operating table or ones that were just assisting in the healing process. It's not always flowery, ask the medical people. It's not always clean. It's not always pleasant. It's not always tidy. But the people of God must continue to remind ourselves that we diagnose with compassion. Because here's why, church, people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. And what we need to do is we need to make sure we are a church that has high compassion towards people. Compassion towards people who might not look like us, act like us, smell like us, live like us, talk like us. But to have compassion, Romans 15 one and two, let's read it together. We who are strong are to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for to build them up. Build them up. That made my mind go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Keep going with me, go. Encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Any Henry Nouwen fans? He's a renowned theologian. He, he was actually a, a professor who was tenured at Harvard University. But because of his faith in Christ, because the message that I'm trying to teach today really got in him, he actually left the prestigious halls of academia and went to serve in solidarity in France with the world's most mentally and physically challenged youngsters. And now one said this, Christian leadership is called ministry precisely to express that in the service of others, new life can be brought about. It is this service which gives eyes to see, I love this, the flower breaking through the cracks in the street. Ears to hear a word of forgiveness muted by hatred and hostility and hands to feel new life under the cover of death and destruction. That is precisely what the good Samaritan did to the wounded traveler in the ditch of life. And that is precisely what New Hope was founded on 20 years. And today just gives me a chance to remind us all, me included, we are a trauma center for wounded people. We are not some sanctimonious social club where you got to wear a mask here and act like you have it all together. Because the truth is, none of us have it all together. Hello. And if you're sitting there going, you don't know me, brother. I got it all together. You be lying to yourself, and you need a dose of humility, I'm just saying. We all need compassion. Agreed? Here, here's the second thing. A church as a trauma center for wounded people dispenses ample doses of grace. 
dispenses ample doses of grace. By the way, a, a person got all this together. I put a little message out online this week that I needed some, some props and I was honoring the medical field. And a person brought all this together. And I, I was actually, they didn't buy that. They carry this stuff around with them all the time. Anybody else do that? Anybody else carry a first aid kit? Like this is a Mac Daddy first aid kit. <laughs> Who does this? This person, she's awesome. She's obviously an unbelievable mother and wife. She, I said, do you carry this around too? She carries this around. <laughs> Who does that? And so then she's got this amazing first aid kit and she's got gauzes and bandages and she's even, oh, look at this. I thought these were only at the doctor's office. She's even got one of these finger deals. Where you, <laughs> and she's not a doctor. I mean, it's impressive. <laughs> wow. Imagine me and her kid. Man, when I was a kid, you got hurt. They'd be at my dad. I'd be like, put some dirt on it. <laughs> yeah, anybody else with me? Suck it up, boy. Rub some dirt on it. You'll be all right. Ample doses of grace. Everybody say grace. grace. Everybody say grace again. Grace. grace is such a beautiful word. It's why we sang that song earlier. Amazing grace. You see this in the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan doesn't just pat the wounded traveler and say, you'll be all right, or suck it up, put some dirt on it, right? The Good Samaritan gives ample doses of grace. The, the Bible says pity, had pity on him, compassion, empathy. Dispenses these generous doses of grace, two days worth of wages, and then says to the innkeeper, listen, if you spend more than that, send me a bill. I want to reimburse you for it. Here's a great verse that comes to mind, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is called in sin, listen, church, you who are spiritual should restore him or her, how? Gently. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. There were many reasons why we started New Hope 20 years ago. But one of them was to grow a church that really exuded grace to all people. Grace and truth. You know we preach the truth around here. But it's often been said, and I heard this when I first became a Christian and it broke my heart and maybe it played into why we started the church. It's often been said that the church is the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. I actually like the fact that you just kind of groaned when I said that. Doesn't that just grieve you? And unfortunately, it is true. But it gives me a chance to ask you this question as I asked myself this question this week. How's your heart towards those who might be struggling physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. Those of you who are online, type in, how's your heart? Question mark. Just, just ask the question to everybody. How's your heart? Is it hard? Because our hearts can get hard, right? Is it gentle? as Luke 10 teaches us? Does it have pity on people? 
Does it encourage people? Does, does your days look like a person who's dispensing ample doses of grace to people who need it? Hey, I'm talking about the person who cuts you off on the highway. Oh, it just got real up in here. I'm talking about the person who ran me over last night as I was walking through the Dean Center, ran me over, and she goes, we're trying to get to our seats. It's packed, and I'm like, well, so are we. <laughs> last Sunday, when I was right here with you, in the wee hours of Sunday morning, a Chelsea Christ walked up to about the 29th floor of a high-rise hotel in New York City in the Hell's Kitchen area, the, the Manhattan District. And at the age of 30, she jumped off the building and took her life. I can tell from your eyes, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, but others of you don't. Uh, let me show you a picture. She was Miss USA from North Carolina. A beautiful, shining woman who not only won Miss USA, she was a successful attorney. She was a successful, impactful advocate for justice. And I, I don't know why. Well, maybe I do. That's not true. But I, I, was, I guess the better way to put it, I was taken aback by how much this story moved me. How much this beautiful woman going up to the 29th floor, leaving a post on Instagram just hours before, may, may this day give you peace and rest. And then she then went and jumped to her death. It, it still just grieves me. Listen, church, please, for the love of God, listen to me right now. We never know what someone is going through. We never know. We don't have a clue. People can look good on the outside because we're good as human beings at wearing masks. People can look good on the outside, be successful, and look like we have it all together. And you and I, if we're not careful, we'll even look at those people online and we'll start getting jealous and envious because we're comparing ourselves to them and we don't have a clue what they're going through. Just like people don't have a clue what you're going through. And this is why 
the son or daughter of the most high God must work to live their life from a posture of dispensing doses of grace everywhere you go. Some of you have heard me talk about like what I started doing about five years ago, and it's because I just was proven wrong so many times. About five years ago, I just I had a paradigm shift in my world where I started to interact with everybody, and I mean everybody, with this basic presupposition. Binging, they're doing the best they can. That'll change your life. That'll change the way you interact with people. Now, the religious, rigid people among me, and when I share this, they go, yeah, but you know everybody ain't doing the best they can. I don't care. It helps me stay in a posture of humility and helps me be gracious with people. Because the truth is, most people probably are doing the best they can. You don't know what they've been through. We don't know what they might have endured as a child. We don't know what the rings of their life would tell us if we could split them open and look inside. I, I would invite you because it has had such an impact on me. I would invite you when you start getting hacked off at someone. When someone starts to frustrate you and get on your last nerves, just start to assume they're doing the best they can. Wounded people matter to God. And they should matter to us. It's time that the church stops shooting its wounded. It's time that we continue. And I, this is what I love about New Hope. Like, I, I hope you think when I'm up here sharing this message that I'm saying we're, we're getting this wrong. The truth is you are the most gracious, loving, encouraging church I've ever encountered, ever. But it doesn't mean that we don't need to be reminded of these things. Like this week, as I just studied this and got back into this very popular parable, God just convicted me. And I literally got on my knees and did it again this morning, about 4.45, got on my knees and prayed for you. Because every single person in here, you have a story. Every single one of us, we have hurts, we have burdens, we have fears, we have we have voices that speak to us and sometimes we believe the lies from the enemy. And we have things that we forced upon ourselves and it's, it's the result of our stupid mistakes and we have other things that have been forced upon us from existential forces in the world and we all have struggles. And if we would all just start to remember, you know what, people are doing the best they can and so rigidity and fundamentalism and mean-spiritedness and judgmentalism has never brought anyone to the throne of God. The Bible says it is your kindness, O oh God, that leads me to repentance. So we're kind. We're kind. Why? Because he's been so kind to us.
We love, John says, because he first loved us. The, the third thing, you know, the third thing I'd say is that I had a hard time thinking of a prop that I would do here, but the, the third thing is that we, we provide a safe recovery place. Church as a trauma center provides a safe recovery place. And this is a stretcher or gurney. I thought gurneys would be stiff usually, but this person who brought all this in, she schooled me on it and told me, actually, you like them to be soft like this because a person can lay in there regardless of the size and you can get all the people you need and you grab these handles and you create a safe place to get them to care. Church as a trauma center for wounded people provides a safe place. Can I get an amen? I like to say it like this. The church is a safe place to hear a dangerous message. Come on now. You see, the message will change your life. The message will mess you up. The message will get so into your bones and into your heart and into your mind and into your soul that you'll become a world changer because you'll get linked up with Christ and, and his church. But not everybody comes, come on, not everybody comes ready for that. And we've always said, you know what, the church is a safe place. Sometimes people just need a place where they can come and rest. Some of you are tired. Sometimes people just need to have a place where they can come and heal. Because they've been beaten and bruised and hurt. Sometimes by those who love them the most. Sometimes by churches and pastors. Church hurt is real. And if that's you, two things. One, I'm so sorry. Like sincerely. But I'm so thankful that you found new hope and you're here. We provide a, a safe recovery room. Not only do we diagnose with compassion, not only does the Good Samaritan teach us to be a people who dispenses ample doses of grace, but it also teaches us to provide a safe recovery room. Notice the good Samaritan took him to the end, made sure he had a place. Here's what it says, verse 34. Then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. If New Hope is going to continue to be a trauma center for wounded people, then we must always make sure we are a safe place for people to come and find a recovery. We must make sure it is a safe place for people to come, even if they don't believe what we believe. We have to provide a safe place for people to come. Listen, even if they don't behave 
like you think they should behave. They have a place up in here. Do they not, church? Come on, yeah, I love that. I love that. You should, yeah, because that's letting everybody here know. If you're here and you don't know what you believe, you don't even know if you believe, you don't even know what way is up or down, left or right, and you spend most of your days dangling by a thread. And you hear me tell stories of Chesley Christ, and you think, if you only knew how much I think about that. Don't do it. Please don't do it. You are loved in this place. You are valuable in the eyes of us, but more importantly, in the eyes of the Most High God. And He still gives you life which means he's not done with you yet. Let us be a recovery room for you. Church, let us be a place where we we talk about the real stuff of life. Let us not be a typical sanctimonious social club kind of church where we all act like we got it all together. Martin Luther King Jr. said, anyone can be great because everyone can serve. Here's how we can serve in this church. We can serve to create a safe recovery room. Amen. God never wastes a hurt. I wish you could see what I see, church. I see people wiping tears all over this place right now. This is who we are. This is us. We serve one another in all of our brokenness. That's why we sang that song. Something's got to break. Here's what needs to break in most churches. Pride. And the notion that we got it all together, the notion that we're better than people who don't believe what we believe, the notion that, you know, we're full of joy and happiness. The truth is, life is hard. C.S. Lewis put it like this. I love this quote. God whispers to us in our joy. (laughs) but he shouts to us in our pain. And if you're here today and the pain is intense in your life, God's shouting to you right now. Not in a mean-spirited, angry kind of way. No, 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 no. God's shouting to you with his love and his grace and his picture of the church, a vision of the church and what we're supposed to be to one another. Psalm 56. Oh, I love this verse. It is is one of the most beautiful images of who God is. Won't you read it out loud? This one will be good just for us to read and let this settle in. You have seen me tossing and turning in the night, and you have collected all of my tears and stored them in a box. 
Isn't that great? God knows what you're going through. God cares if you're in a tough season. And God wants his church to be a place where we can be real about that. Brennan Manning, another great scholar that I'm a big fan of. Read read as much stuff from C.S. Lewis and Brennan Manning as you possibly can. King, others that I've quoted today. Brendan Manning said this, I do not know this man, Jesus, but one thing I do know is that his whole life conveys one message. Anyone at any time can start over. Oh, oh. Praise you, God. Maybe you need to start over. Maybe you're here and life's good for you right now. Praise God for that. Amen. But that's just a reminder to those of us that might be in that position that we are to be a place that gives out grace and compassion and provides a safe place for people to come and heal. I'll end with this poem. God has no hands, but our hands today. God has no feet, but our feet to what? Lead people on his way. God has no lips, but our lips to tell people how he died. God has no help, but our help to what? Bring them to his side. One matters, so we care. We really care, right, church? Pray with me. Father, break our hearts for people. Break our hearts for this vision of your church. Thank you that we can have discussions like this and it, it fall on fertile soil. Thank you that you're growing a church that genuinely and authentically cares for people. And Father, I want to pray for the person who is here today. And they just know that they need you right now. They know they need to surrender in this very moment to this vision for their lives and they need you to come alongside of them because the truth is they're a lot like the wounded traveler trying to make it through life in Luke chapter 10, but they've fallen in the ditch. Hey, if you're here today and you just you need God and you're, you're not ashamed to admit it, would you just lift up your hand right where you are? Hold it, I, yeah, I just wanna pray for you. It helps me just, wow all over this place. Yeah. Keep your hands up if you don't mind or you can drop them. Church, pray with us. If that's you, just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I need healing in my life. 
I need my sins forgiven. I find myself feeling like I'm in the ditch, God. And I thank you that you've, you've brought this word to me today to, to help lift me out of the ditch and put me back on the road. God, thank you that I'm in a church where I don't have to hide that. And just make this your prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life today. I need you. I need you to be my savior. I need you to be my redeemer. I need you to be my friend. Restore to me, oh God, the joy of my salvation. And thank you that I have a church where I can be real about my life. As you heal me, God, help me become a person that dispenses compassion and grace and recovery to those you send my way, not only on Sundays, oh God, but every day of the week. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.